I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ruth with me. Book of Ruth, if you're in the Blue Pew Bible, uh, it's on page 223, 224, around in there. You know, there's, there's an Old Testament uh, Hebrew word with which probably just about everybody here is familiar with. It's the word shalom. Now we usually translate that word peace, but that can be somewhat misleading because the word shalom means much more than what we often think about as peace. Often peace is just kind of a, a, an end to the conflicts, uh, cessation, the conflicts go away uh, and Therefore, we have peace, but shalom actually means everything made as it should be. Everything's made right. Everything comes together finally uh, as it should be. You can think about a state of, of quiet and rest and security and safety. And even that in the midst of the storm, uh, yet this experience of, of rest, which is the word that is used in the book of, of Ruth for this rest, true rest. You know, the world, well, it, it, it has many different options that it'll give us for this kind of peace, and it'll call us to that, but it can't deliver ultimately, because at, at best, it can give us something that is temporary. Yet the Bible speaks about, as we saw earlier in Philippians chapter 4, about a, a peace that surpasses all understanding and it's a peace that that goes on and on and on because it is a peace a shalom of God so it doesn't come and go and that's that's what the book of Ruth is working toward and we're in chapter 4 uh, this morning the last chapter of the book and so we get to see that we get to see the fruition of it as it all comes together and so here in this chapter, we're told where, where peace, shalom, rest, comes from and how we can have it. Uh, it is available to us and it is within our grasp. Now, if you were here last week, you may recall that at the end of chapter 3, that we were left with a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, up to this point, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, had returned to the land of promise, the, the, the house of bread, Bethlehem. But they had returned completely empty. Uh, at the end of chapter 1, Naomi had said, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty, without husband, poor, vulnerable. And for Naomi, in that passage, it's clear that she's bitter as well. Yet we've seen... God, since that point, we've seen God in His providence. They couldn't see it, but we've seen Him orchestrating uh, circumstances again and again uh, that just seem to be clear. This is the hand of God at work for good in their lives. And then last week uh, in chapter 3, we begin to see real uh, a sense of real hope appearing. First of all, God's law came to their rescue when we found, found out that, that Naomi had a, a close relative, Boaz, who was a man who was faithful uh, and obedient to the Lord. And 
At one point, Ruth, who had been working in his fields, it so happens, working in his field, uh, she made it clear to Boaz in this, this amazing and really beautiful scene on the threshing floor uh, that she was available for marriage, uh, available to him. And Boaz made it clear to her in return that he, he was prepared to buy her freedom, which was what this law provided for by marrying her, so that under this law, he would be, become what was called a kinsman redeemer. And so she would have rest and security and provision. And so would Naomi, by the way, her mother-in-law. And so it was wonderful. Uh, chapter 3, it was, it was looking, looking great, but there was a snag. And that was that, if you remember, Boaz knew of a man who was a closer relative to Ruth. And therefore, under the same law that provides protection for widows and for the destitute, this man would be up for the hand of, uh, of Ruth in marriage before Boaz. And so we were left at the end of that chapter with all sorts of questions. Would this man accept his responsibility and receive Ruth? What would that mean for Ruth and for Naomi? Was this man a godly man? Or might he mistreat, take advantage of her and of them? You know, in chapter 4, we get answers to that, but also there's a, a, a wonderful surprise right at the very end uh, as well. I'm going to read chapter 4, uh, beginning to end. So chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, that is the gate of the city, and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he, Boaz, took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Then he, the man, said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Uh, take the right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, 
You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Mahlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this word this morning, uh, this story that's not only a story, but it was lived out under your sovereign hand. And we thank you for the outcome of that story as we are able today to look forward and to see the echoes of that story and its fullness. Uh, so we thank you this morning for that. We thank you, Lord, uh, for a Redeemer. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as we open up the story that you will give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Help us to understand your truth. Help us to take it and to apply it to our own hearts. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was, uh, it was 1999. It was uh, a year before the millennium. Some here may remember that time because of Y2K, which was a uh, problem that brought up a lot of fear. Um, it was an exciting time for many, uh, yet uh, within our, our small family, for Amy and I, it was a season of great 
great difficulty uh, because after 10 years of marriage, our marriage was, uh, was in a mess. Uh, and what we had in our lives was despair, brokenness. Uh, and there was a point at which I remember saying to Amy, and I know she remembers it well, maybe there's someone in a church that we can talk to. But after that, we're done. And I'll, I'll tell you, there was no hope in those words. What I was really doing was kind of checking a, a box there that needed to be checked. But I didn't have any hope in them. I don't think Amy did it uh, either. Uh, yet what I didn't know, and what Amy didn't know, was that at that point, as she began flipping through Yellow Pages, uh, looking for a church and calling a number of churches, leaving messages, what we didn't know was that those words, in a very real way, represented a return. Uh, it was almost like we were turning to the house of bread. We were turning to, as we see here, to the land of promise. Because after that point, there was one thing after another that began to happen in our lives. Now to us, there were random things. It was sort of happenstance. But looking back, uh, we can both say this was the clear hand of the Lord orchestrating things. But at the heart of it, at the center of it, what, what brought about the change, the significant change, even though early on we didn't see this, we didn't know it, but it was a, a Redeemer. And a Redeemer is one who makes payments, makes a purchase for another, a captive, in order to bring about freedom, to bring about new life, uh, to take those who are enslaved, in this case, by sin and rebellion, uh, and walking away, doing our own thing, uh, and turns it all around, paves the way for true blessing, for rest, uh, for shalom. And you know, that's really the point of the book of Ruth. The point of the book of Ruth is to help us to see and to feel as we walk through this story with the characters of, of the story, to see that what it's, what it's like to know that God is ever-present and that He has provided for us exactly what we need. And it's here in chapter 4 uh, that everything finally comes together. Uh, here we see the Lord sovereignly working things in the lives of these three people of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz to make all things right. And isn't that the message that we really desire? The message that, that we really, uh, at, at all times, should be looking for, uh, no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, uh, whether it's to be able to see for the first time that there's this path uh, where I can have full and true rest, where things can be made right finally, or to be reminded again and again uh, about that that path and that way that it's it, it comes about by nothing of our own doing. It's not to be found in exercising our gifts and our abilities that the Lord may have given us. 
It's not to be found by uh, following some philosophy or some religion that's out there. And I could go on and on about all that the world offers yet fails to deliver. None of those things work because they're incapable of, of dealing with what we really need. What's at the heart of it? And that is that we've, we've rebelled. We've walked away. There is sin that is, is there in the heart. And we've continued in that way. You can think about uh, Naomi uh, leaving the land of promise and going into the land of Moab with its gods. And, and, and Ruth, who lived there. And that's all she knew that represents the world and the gods that are out there. Yet by this simple act of returning to the Lord, He provided everything that, that was needed in order to set things right. And at the heart of it, the, the one motivator for true change, the one need that truly exists was a Redeemer. And this is true for everyone who has ever turned to the Lord. Uh, it's a redeemer. That's what we need. The one who has atoned for, who has taken care of our sin. That's the help we need. And this book, culminating in this chapter, points to that solution. It's really answering the question, by what means does God bring true blessing to his people? It's not just at one point in life, it's an ongoing blessing, and the answer is by a Redeemer. And we see that reflected here. God provides blessing, rest, shalom through a Redeemer. Now, there are a couple of, a couple of things this chapter reminds us of as we walk through it. I'm going to bring out three. Uh, the blessing of a Redeemer doesn't come without difficulty, without challenges, without obstacles. But then also, the blessing of a Redeemer produces beauty out of ashes. And then finally, the blessing of a Redeemer is available to all. So, as we come into this chapter, chapter 4, it just hits us in the face that the blessing of a Redeemer doesn't come without difficulty, that we must trust in the Lord, that there will be barriers in the way, there will be things that are there to pull us off of the path. You know, the path of the faithful is often not a straight one in the sense that there are setbacks, there are twists, there are turns all along the way, but we can know that God is faithful and we can trust in what He is doing and that's what we're called to. Now, uh, Boaz, as we come into this chapter, he knows exactly what he has to do, as unpleasant as it might be for him, because he's been in this place in which it's, it's clear, coming out of chapter 3, that not only is there an attraction there between he and Ruth, but she desires him and he desires her for marriage. And yet he knows what he must do. And so right after their Midnight rendezvous. In fact, you kind of wonder how much uh, sleep Boaz might have gotten that night. But regardless, uh, right after that, he, he goes directly to the gate of the city. And you can imagine there, it's kind of like uh, going to the Murphy Courthouse. This is where all the business is done. 
Uh, all the people gather. But it's even more central because the gate was the place. You, the, the cities would have a wall around them. So the gate was the place everyone must go into and out of. And so everyone's seen there. And sure enough, as he sits down there at the gate, um, it so happened that this Redeemer, the nearer relative, happened to come through the gate. So Boaz pulls the man aside. He says, come over here and, and sit down. And then Boaz goes and gathers together a quorum of, of ten city officials. And he lays out the, the situation before the man. You know, I, I'm just going to pause here for a second. I, I think we can all learn something from Boaz about uh, proactively knowing what the Lord has, knowing what's right, what he set out before us, and just doing it. Uh, and, and that's that's for, for all of us. He knew uh, about the law and he knew what was right and so he went and he took care of it uh, he did not hesitate and so he explains to the man that Naomi is selling whatever land that she has and and the duty of the the nearest kinsman is clear to redeem that property to, to pay for it so that the inheritance stays in the family now, I think at this point, probably, it doesn't say here, but I think Boaz probably expects a refusal uh, from the man. It's just kind of sprung upon him. Uh, I, I would say we certainly want a refusal. but well, we don't want this to continue forward. Uh, but the man says, I will redeem it. And so we've got to ask the question, well, what happens now? What's going to happen with Ruth? Uh, will this unknown man, will he purchase her and marry her as well? You know, there's a sense in which in our minds, probably, it seems like the story is taking a wrong turn here. This would definitely not have been what, what Boaz would have wanted. But what did it require? It required a trust in the Lord. You know, there are always going to be barriers when we're following the Lord, but we must Trust in Him. That's what faith is, isn't it? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I always think about faith in this way. You enter into a dark room. You know that on the other side there's a, there's a door there and it, it opens to a, a passageway and that's where you need to go. That's the right place to be. But you can't see the other side. You can't see the door. And so you continue in the darkness, not being able to see. It's completely different from not knowing what's on the other side, isn't it? Uh, where you just take steps in darkness. That's not faith. That's what the world calls faith. And so Boaz had to uh, have faith as he continues with this, this man. He describes the situation to him. He, he, he says you realize that Naomi has a daughter-in-law. And her, her name's Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's a foreigner. When you acquire Naomi's land, you'll also be a kinsman redeemer. Remember that law. You'll, you'll take her as your wife, Ruth, and you'll raise up her children as your own. You can just imagine as he says that, it becomes very quiet. The man's processing things. 
And then he says, verse 6, he says, no. <laughs> I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. No, no, you take my right of redemption for yourself. I can't redeem it. You notice now this, this man here is kind of like an, like an extra that you'd find in a, a movie set. One of the people that's on the scene is not a main character, just kind of kind of there. He, he, he's an extra. He's there peripherally. He's kind of like Oprah. I'm sorry, not Oprah. Well, like Orpha. Orpah was in chapter 1. That was a bit of a slip. Uh, this man, just like Orpah, you think back to what Orpah did. Her concerns, his concerns are for the things of this world. You know, he seemed interested at first. He began to go in that direction. Yes, I'll redeem the land. But when the real test came, he opted out. That should make us ask ourselves, what about me? What about me? Is, is there a limit to my obedience in following Christ? If something's clear there before me, and this is a responsibility, this is what I am to do, Am I prepared to continue forward with that, or is there a limit? Am I only willing to go part way? And all of a sudden we hear Jesus' words, don't we? Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. And then on and on. Is that me? Or am I more like Boaz? Am I about the Lord's business? You know, Boaz couldn't see the outcome of all this, especially with something as important as marriage. But he didn't try to take it into his own hands and, and change things up. He did what would honor the Lord, what the Lord set before him, and he trusted the Lord each step of the way. And the result will be what? It's going to be the Lord's blessing, his provision. But blessing doesn't come. Uh, without twists and turns and barriers. And so we're called to walk in obedience and to trust Him, to continue on to the, the other side of the room, knowing what's on the other side for certain and to put it into the Lord's hands. Uh, so, first of all, the blessing of a, of a Redeemer doesn't come without challenges, but also the blessing of a Redeemer produces beauty out of ashes. As I say those words, this, this is really what the Lord delights in. This is the very foundation of the gospel. Now Christians, think about who Christians are. We are a needy people. We are those who have come to see and to know the brokenness of our own ways. When we go our own way, take our own path, we, we've come to see what that results in. And we've come to one conclusion. And that is that we can't fix what's broke. And that's why we need a Redeemer. Now this story is not about Naomi and Ruth collaborating together and, and coming up with a plan, maybe their own, own business together so that they can provide for their, themselves and thereby gain standing in the community, maybe stand at the gate uh, with the others. That's not what this is about. Uh, that would be a false gospel. The only answer for Naomi and Ruth is a Redeemer. 
And the reason the story is that way and it's given to us that way is because that's the only answer for you and the only answer for me. We need a Redeemer because when we come to know our own hearts and we know our sin, our brokenness, we need to be transformed into something beautiful. Uh, Now Boaz, uh, this is back at at verse 7, he's already trusted in the Lord. He's affirmed that, or now he's going to affirm this transaction publicly. And we might expect that. This is, uh, he's going to purchase the land. He's really going to purchase a a wife in a sense, but then marry her truly. Uh, And so to have a, a public ceremony for that is right. The ceremony itself might seem a little strange. Uh, the exchange of a sandal off of the foot of one to the other. But it was clear, it was, it was known to those who are present here. So not only does he purchase the land, but he also says, if you look at verse 10, Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers. So at this point, Boaz has become a redeemer. And he made payment for Ruth and really for Naomi as well. Taking them from the place of emptiness, of being destitute. Remember when they first came into the land? Naomi, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Changed my name to Mara, which means bitter. There was no hope. There was nothing there. But what had they done? They had come into the land of promise. And so Boaz here is, he's the way forward. He is the redeemer. And a picture of that blessing uh, that comes as a result of the redeemer is what we receive here. Uh, and, And this sense of blessing comes even more, as you, you look at those who are there at the gate, the witnesses, uh, what we hear from them. Look at verse 11. A little bit down in verse 11. They, they, they said, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who built up the house of Israel. Remember, uh, Rachel and Leah, the ones who are used, along with her two maid, maid servants, uh, to raise up the twelve tribes of Israel so that they became a nation. Uh, And then they say a little further down, And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring. They're saying, may you be blessed with fruitful offspring. But there's something else behind these pronouncements as well. If you look at both of these, they were both full of ugliness and sin and brokenness. You know, back when I was in, uh, in seminary, I remember I was in a preaching class uh, and we were assigned passages to preach before the class. And I was given a passage out of uh, Genesis 29 and 30. And it was this, Rachel and, and, and Leah and the building up of the house of Israel. And I remember going through that passage, reading it again and again and thinking, how in the world am I going to preach this? Because this is ugly. It's full of sin. There's adultery throughout. There's treachery. Selling mandrakes in exchange. 
uh, for other things. Anyway, it was terrible all the way through. Yet you think about it, out of that is where the nation of Israel, God's people, the line of David culminating in the Messiah came out of that. And then we look at the other example here, which is the story of Tamar. Now, Tamar was a foreigner like Ruth. Uh, Tamar and her father-in-law, Judah. Now, this one, I'm not even going to go into the details, because if you know this story, you'll know it's a sordid story. And it's one that's, that would be very difficult to, to, to share here. But again, this is pointing out again, what do we see out of that? You'll see at the bottom of the genealogy, you've got Perez at the top. He was the offspring, and again, leading to the Messiah, and he was very fruitful. Uh, but again, what do we see? We see the Lord bringing out of ashes, the ashes of sin, beauty, again and again. And that's what redemption is all about. The Lord redeems and He brings fruitfulness and blessing. And that's what we're seeing here at the end of the book. You know, Boaz takes Ruth as his wife and blessings begin to flow. And she has a son. And this chorus of women that were there in the background in, in, in chapter 1, talking about, uh, about her as a destitute woman, but that same chorus of women now calls this child her Redeemer. Look at verse 14. She says, or, or the women say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. To a redeemer. There's redemption here. Out of all the sin, the death, the brokenness that we have seen back in chapter 1, the Lord produces fruitfulness and blessing. You know, the application to us is clear here. Because we are no different than them, than Tamar and, and, and Judah, than Leah and Rachel, than Ruth and Naomi. Uh, we, are, we are sinful. Our sin, our specific sins may be different. They may be the same in some cases around the room here. Our sin that we struggle with may be different. It may be the same. Uh, as others in, in, in other cases. But the one thing that we need most desperately is to have that sin taken care of and atoned for so that out of that we have joy in our hearts, we see rightly, and we begin to live for the Lord. We need a Redeemer. And if you're here and you've never known Christ before, you may have been in church all your life, but you know, I've never truly clung on. I've never truly looked to Christ. Then what you need is a Redeemer. You need the one who was put up on the cross and nailed because He stood in the gap for us and took our sin upon Himself. He paid the price for us that we might be set free and that we might have all that comes from being redeemed by Christ, all the blessings. On the other hand, you might have been you, you might have known Christ for fifty years. 
And yet you still need that reminder day after day after day. In Christ I have a Redeemer. He is the one who has purchased my way. I'm able to, to look to Him day after day and to know my sin is atoned for and therefore I can live for God and with God. You know, uh, Jesus, when He gave, He gave a purpose statement early on in His ministry. And He said, this is my purpose for being here it was in especially Luke chapter 4 and it's quoted out of he, he quotes out of Isaiah 61 and here's what he said he said the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. That's why He came. He came to redeem. And He came to bring beauty out of ashes. We're unable to do anything about our sin, to take care of it in any way on our own. But Jesus went to the cross to pay for that sin. Therefore, you must trust in the one who is able to bring beauty and blessing into your life out of the ashes of the sin that you have contributed and produced. And the good news is, of course, that the blessing of this Redeemer is available to all. Now, there, there, there is a big surprise that comes at the end of this book. And it has to do with kind of with the scope of that redemption. Uh, it's much larger than we were led to believe at the very beginning of this book where there's a random family that, that we're told about. We don't know about them from, from anywhere else and we just walk through with their lives. Uh, but as we get to the end of the book, we see that this Redeemer that the Lord has provided, what this is pointing toward is the Redeemer who is available, made available to all people. We see this especially, if you look down at verse 17, and then you'll see it spelled out further in the genealogy that begins in verse 18. And I think, you know, it's, it's given so subtly, it's, uh, with such subtlety, uh, it's given in a list of names, a genealogy, what do we normally do? We're reading through the Bible, we get to the list of genealogy, the names, and we almost can't wait to get to the end. We may browse through any names I know, and then we, we pass on through, and, uh, and then we continue on, and often in, in the process lose uh, the value that's been placed there. Well, right here, we can be tempted to do the same right here at the end of the book of Ruth. But look at Look at verse 17. And again, here you got the women of the neighborhood. And they gave him the, the child, the baby, a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then as if to, to hammer the point home, then the writer goes and, and gives 
a, a proper genealogy. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered... And, and all the way down, uh, we get to Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You get the message there? You see what this is pointing toward? This is King David, uh, who we just read about him, didn't we, in, in 2 Samuel 7. King David, with whom God made a covenant. And God said in that covenant, I will make you great, and I will make your name great. But then he went on to make clear that the true greatness would come from the son of David. There would be an immediate son of David. He would do good things. But there'd be a greater son of David. And he would do great things. Wonderful things. And so all of a sudden, this story about an obscure family and several events that just happened to take place becomes a very important story. One that's foundational to all of us. Uh, and we can see here, reading through, uh, what comes out of it clearly is that if, you know, if Ruth had not been faithful, if they had not gone back to the, the land, if Boaz had not been faithful to the Lord and insisted and, and married Ruth, on and on, all these ifs strung together, then... There would be no Obed, there would be no Jesse, there would be no David. Now, we know that playing that game of all of the ifs is of no consequence because there was one greater who was working this all according to his plan. And so all these things that take place, they were hidden from them. Just as today, the Lord's hand is often hidden from us. Uh, yet, He is sovereignly working His His plan, including those things that are hidden from us, those things that are outside of our control. And out of this, we can know that we can rest in the knowledge that He has a plan. He's carrying it out faithfully. And we can stand upon that. It is for our good, and it is for His glory. And so He ordained all of this that we might have available to us the greater Son of David, the Redeemer, which is and who was the true, or who is the true house of David. I'm sorry, the true house of bread, the bread of life, uh, which was broken not only to give salvation to those in this story and to those in Israel, but for men and women everywhere. So what an amazing story as we go through this little book. And the message of it all is that we too are able, through this Redeemer, to have peace, true peace, shalom. That which is depicted at the end of this book, a peace that surpasses all understanding, everything made right. And we, we have that because of the Redeemer. Let me end with this. This is out of, uh, out of Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and it speaks about that Redeemer. Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. 
in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. You know, that is the fullness of the plan that we're talking about. That is what the Redeemer has brought about. And so it's here today. It's available to all. And it is that hope that we look forward to uh, as we look to our Redeemer. Uh, join me as I pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, book of Ruth. Uh, we thank you for the clarity in your word with which it deals with our own hearts. Uh, that, that we can open up this a story 3,000 years ago, a, a family that underwent certain uh, events or certain things that happened. We see the characters, know and understand them. But then out of that, Lord, we can see what our need is and that our need is ultimately met uh, in Christ, in the Redeemer. Thank you for the ways that you work. Give us greater confidence in you as we live our lives day after day. Help us to be those, we pray, of faith who are able to continue forward knowing for certain what lies ahead because we know you, we know your word, and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to be able to see. Uh, help us, we pray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.